This is Rob Tebbit for Boxing Social in association with Betfred. Delighted, as always, to be joined by the head of the WBC, Mr. Mauricio Suleiman. How are you, Mauricio? Fine, fine, fine Rob. I'm doing very well. And uh, you're looking good. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're as flattering as ever, although um, I, I, dis I disagree with you, but um, thank you very much. How have you been keeping? It's been a few weeks since I've spoken to you now. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, uh, a challenging time for everyone. You know, every day that goes by, uh, the emotions get uh, the news and the anxiety, so it's a... Uh, constant challenge to the human being when you are living something that is unexpected, but uh, we're trying our best to continue the same path, to keep busy, to keep exercising, to keep your mind away from the things that create anxiety. Uh, I really don't watch news. I don't read the messages that friends send uh, with the world ending tomorrow. Uh, just keep uh, working, trying to be uh, busy, innovative, looking to different things that uh, can be done and can be prepared for the for the return of the sport, and to keep a very good uh, relationship with the members of the WBC and the boxing world. So we keep doing the WBC talks every day. We keep uh, communicating uh, with promoters, fighters, managers, media, or ring officials. So, just uh, trying to stay busy. This is the third time that I've spoken to you since we've, well, since we've had kind of the coronavirus uh, pandemic impact on boxing. Um, first of all, there was still some shows going on or still some arranged. Then second of all, they'd been cancelled and nobody knew really what, going, what was going on. Now we're in kind of a, a period of time where Top Rank have announced that they're going to be bringing shows back. Of course, Eddie Hearn and Matchroom spoken about fight camp. So now we're kind of preparing for boxing to come back. What steps has the WBC made recently? Of course, I was on a Zoom call recently when you laid out some of the WBC's COVID guidelines for people who didn't see that or didn't see the releases that came from it. Just explain what the WBC are going to be implementing upon boxing's return. Well, we prepared a thorough document, uh, a protocol, administrative and medical protocol for uh, promoters to, to use as a guideline and for boxing commissions, boxing jurisdictions also to, to use. Uh, it's a very extensive document that goes from uh, a questionnaire on just simply looking who could be present and who should not be present. For example, if a trainer of a fighter is 75 years old and he's got diabetes and high blood pressure, he, he falls into the danger area for high risk, and he should not be present in an event. So uh, we work on that on the COVID tests that uh, should be performed to the fighters, uh, the sanitization of the areas, the reclusion for 14 days of fighters, etc., etc., etc. Now I can see with great enthusiasm that... Uh, it, it seems that in a few days, boxing is going to be starting uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, Mexico is another city that might be opening in June. Uh, there's talks about different countries. So this is very exciting. And uh, we can all look forward only to, to see how our sport is going to be uh, opening uh, gradually in different areas of the world. And boxing will, will get back to action. It seems like a lot of the um, the guidelines have included the the caveat of no title fights, only non-title fights to limit judging and, as you mentioned, other people potentially arriving there. How would that impact on the WBC? No, uh, there's, a, there's a possibility of having title fights. Uh, this initial protocol is a basic guideline uh, for a four-round fight or for a title fight. So it all depends on the... On the, on the country and the state that an event is planned to be because they will have their own restrictions, their own guidelines, and uh, it's just a matter of looking into every particular situation to assess it. 
Now, one of the things that we discussed, or rather you discussed um, when we were on the Zoom call not well, two or three weeks ago now, was judging and how judging, there will be some changes to the way that judging is implemented for these fights, obviously, due to COVID. Explain to people what type of measures and what type of changes we could potentially expect to see with regards to judging. Well, we have been working on a uh, proposal, which is uh, a possible solution to restriction of number of persons in that area. Uh, where a fight takes place. Every single person that is there is one more protocol that you have to follow and that you have to take care step by step that, uh, to make sure they are safe. Um, this proposal of remote judging, uh, we have been working for the last two years in a WBC uh, remote uh, ring officials evaluation. And it's part of the training, part of the certification. So we've been doing it. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Tyson Fury uh, Wilder fight was done by a remote uh, panel. What they do, they watch the fight from home uh, with a certain uh, specific uh, criteria, you know, uh, big, big uh, screen, headphones, no, no sound, international sound, etc., etc., and uh, it has been working very well. It has been uh, a very good experiment that we use for evaluation. Uh, it's very different to evaluate the fight when you already know the result. So we do live evaluations. So the official judge, then we compare to the ring officials that uh, officially scored live, and then we see different things. So, so when this, this happened, we made a, an addition to the protocol we proposed. This could be used uh, to reduce the judges not being in the arena, being a, in a television studio or being at home. And uh, we, we keep doing it. Uh, we have the, the technology in which uh, the judge scores a phone and the supervisor gets the result. So it's, it's been working. It's, it's something that could be done. It has, uh, of course, uh, uncertainty from, from the traditional members of boxing. And uh, it's just a matter that we're studying. And uh, uh, we could be using it uh, to aid the boxing promoters and the, and the reactivation of the sport. It is not a rule. It is not a must. But it's just a, an, an option uh, for areas that could use it. The last time I spoke to you, or one of the last times I spoke to you, was shortly after the announcement of the clean boxing program and VADA ceasing testing. Now we've got boxing coming back, or we're expecting boxing to return soon. What can you give me with regards to an update on the clean boxing program and further testing? The boxing, the clean boxing program has resumed. Uh, we made a public announcement, and uh, it is now being uh, open again. It's handled by VADA. And uh, we've been in communications with them. They already have a scheduled testing. It is a protocol that is absolutely secure. And uh, we have been assured by VADA that uh, there's absolutely all the measures to protect the doping collector officers and, most importantly, the fighters and their families. So the program is back. Uh, I feel very strongly about uh, the good decision to to stop it when it had to be stopped and to be clear and open announcing it. But now we're back and back to normal in uh, most areas of the world. That's good to hear. Um, also, another thing that we'd spoken about previously was, and I know it's something that the WBC have looked at in the past and have always been very receptive to helping people who maybe have fallen on hard times during things such as a coronavirus pandemic or, or numerous other issues in the past. Is that something that you, you've taken forward since the last time we spoke? Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the Jose Sulaiman Boxers Fund. He was created in uh, 2012 with the help of uh, Hublot Watches and uh, Mr. Carlos Lee with, uh, with uh, Telmex. And this fund is administered by the Nevada Community Foundation. Uh, the way it works, uh, whenever someone has... Uh, a need 
a fighter uh, is, has, doesn't have to be a WBC world champion. It could be any fighter from any country of the world, uh, any age. And basically, they fill a form in which they uh, outline their needs. Housing, medicines, medical treatment, food. Uh, we have even granted a, like a taxi car so they can work. Uh, and uh, we, we talked to them and we have uh, finally received the good news that uh, they have allowed uh, $50,000 to be put aside for COVID-19 relief fund. And uh, we are sending, for example, to Thailand uh, amount of money. They have submitted 17 names of fighters that are in real need because of the COVID-19 uh, lack of work and this uh, horrible situation. Uh, we have attended uh, in Mexico a large amount of the boxing community uh, members, also some in the United States. And uh, the Board of Governors, the WBC, and any member may send us a, uh, a uh, nomination. In fact, if you know someone who is having uh, difficulties, you can send it in and we will figure out how to get uh, some food to that family. That's very positive. And as I, as I say, it's something that the WBC always, always try and do. Um, so it's always something that I always like to check in on. Um, you know, also uh, Oscar De La Hoya, Golden Boy Promotions, and the WBC, uh, we agreed on, on doing a, a foot run also. Uh, they put some money, we put some money. Uh, other members of the boxing community, Mr. Honda from Japan, uh, Michael Jackman from the USA. So there's uh, people concerned about our industry. And the most uh, worrisome is the, the fighters that are, that are starting and also the retired fighters. So I, I love to see how the boxing community reacts. They unite and uh, they go out and do so many things to, to lend a hand to someone that needs it. Tyson Fury, of course, the WBC and lineal heavyweight champion of the world. He's just had a recent... I think what was it the world a hero of the world himself and, and his wife Paris from the WBC that some awards. Yes, yes. Uh, we we created a concept uh, which is called Hero for Humanity Award. There's so many people out there uh, doing things during these horrible times for many. Uh, whether it's uh, risking your life. Uh, being a nurse, a surgeon, a doctor, a therapist, a ambulance driver, a policeman, or whether you're a member of society, feeding others, helping the elderly. There's so many beautiful stories out there. What uh, Tyson and Paris have done is an unbelievable uh, task. They have gone day after day after day after day. Uh, going into uh, motivating people to stay healthy, to exercise, to keep uh, mentally calm. I mean, the influence they have had since day one is unbelievable. So they were nominated and they have been uh, uh, awarded with the Hero for Humanity. And I'm just very honored. I, I was in communication with him yesterday, and uh, he's just a, a sensational human being. Um, and to, to understand the discipline that it takes to serve others, is, uh, that's what you have to praise. Uh, he has a lot of money, he is very comfortable, he has a house and has everything. And what... Uh, he could be doing would be lying on the couch watching television or just being taking care of himself. But he has gone out and has taken care of the world by having discipline and doing it day after day. Uh, and it takes a lot of uh, work, sacrifice, and I'm just very proud of uh, having him as a WBC heavyweight champion of the world. Speaking of him as obviously the WBC heavyweight champion of the world, um, 
Where do we stand, or where does the WBC stand with the Wilder trilogy bout? Obviously, we're still waiting for some information. Is there any update that you can give me from the WBC's point of view? Uh, we, we, we are, uh, as in the heavyweight and every single division, we are in communications with the promoters and boxers, and uh, the WBC Board of Governors have uh, agreed that every single case is going to be uh, dealt, dealt separately. separately. Every, Every single, single case, case is, is going to be different. different. Uh, uh, we're, we're dealing, dealing with uh, Tyson Fury in the UK, uh, a, a contractual, contractual obligation with Wilder, and Wilder is in the USA, so we're going to see and uh, support whatever they deem and the timing they can have to, to stage such fight. Uh, it's, a uh, it's a different case, case when you have uh, the, the champion, champion in Thailand, Thailand and you have to see what the situation is in Thailand, who the mandatory challenger is, maybe there is no travel possibility, so every single case is going to be addressed separately, and uh, what I understand is that uh, there's a contractual commitment for the third fight between Fury and Wilder. With regards to contractual agreements, etc., obviously, as I understand, Tyson did an interview a couple of days ago and he said that by October is the, is the deadline for that trilogy to take place. But he said that all parties will have to get together and see sense. Now, another couple of examples of that with mandatory challengers is Nordin Ubali, uh, as mandatory challenger is Nonito Donaire, Dillian White, of course, the WBC heavyweight mandatory challenger. Is it likely that these that these deadlines are going to have to be pushed back? Obviously, Dylan White has a what, February twenty twenty one initial deadline. With regards to contracts and, and and dates and deadlines, is that something that the WBC are going to review? Of course, uh, as, as it was, it was initially, initially uh, stated, uh, Uvali was, was going to do the fight, I believe, in May or June, uh, April or May, with that Nonito Donaire. So, so this got in the middle, and absolutely, Uvali is in confinement in France, uh, Nonito is in California, so we would have to look into the specifics. Uh, if that specific fight can be done, uh, and then, uh, of course, have the flexibility to look into the situation. Uh, the Wilder Fury Third Trilogy was supposed to take place in July. So, so now we are very close to July. July. We're going to, I don't want to anticipate, I don't want to create any expectations for either or any party. But uh, we're going to be fair and we're going to give justice to every single case. And uh, we have to use common sense. We have to use absolute, uh, uh, how do you say, yeah, common sense. I mean, this has erased four months to everyone. We, we have, have to look, look on what's the situation with the TV networks. networks. What's, what's the situation, situation if a fight is going to be with a public or without public? public? I mean, we, we have, have to be very flexible and understanding and supportive of everyone. everyone. I will not worry about Dylan White. February 21 is uh, seven months away, but uh, still, uh, he is the mandatory challenger. He is the interim champion, and he will not be pushed aside. Okay, um, I think we're probably about there, Mauricio. Always good to catch up with you. Um, nice to see you looking so well in lockdown. Um, glad that there's going to be boxing coming back soon, I must say. And um, hopefully I'll get to see you and we can do this face-to-face -face sometime soon. I'm, I'm sure, sure that, that will be the case. case. Uh, we're, we're all just, just waiting, waiting for that moment. moment and uh, thank, thank you for, for this opportunity, opportunity to be in, in your program, program. Boxing, boxing Social. social. So we are having boxing back in July. Uh, Eddie Hearn's got his, his garden set up. He's got a few fights, I think, lined up to take place there. They're only having five fights per card. And also over in America, Nevada Commission did say that the uh, fights can now take place there again. So Bob Arum's coming back and I think he's going to have a few behind the, 
behind closed doors fights. Uh, let's stick with the UK. What are your thoughts on the uh, the garden in uh, at the back of the matchroom office? Think it's a good idea, a good little setup? I think it's amazing, man. I can't wait, man. Mm. I don't think I don't think in boxing and us what we need uh, the fans there. I think with the right lighting, with the right setup, it's gonna be it's gonna be. I, I want to hit the punches. I want to hit the body punches. I want to. I think some people that maybe don't uh, fight in front of the crowds and do as well as they can do in the gym, we can birth a new star from, from that that's and maybe get the confidence they need to. So That's a really good point because a lot of people have been saying it the other way around. How are the people who like to get amped up for a fight with the crowd going to react? But yeah. no one's actually said what you said. You know, people who underperform under pressure might actually have yeah. a break right now. Yeah, they could be because there's, there's a lot of gym fighters I hear. There's a lot of men that's that men be amazing in the gym, but on the night they don't quite get it right. Maybe, but maybe, maybe it's time for them to shine. And, and uh, I think it's more a 50-50 fight. And I don't think we will miss the fans as much as we think we will. And when they get in the ring, I think the fighters will be all right. I think. Uh, yeah, I think I think I think, I think people. I think so I heard someone say that Derek Chisora needs the fans, but I think it'll be all right in there as well. I think I think it'll, I think it'll be amazing for everyone. But yeah, when it comes to those fights though, like Derek against Usyk, those fights, uh, you see, <laughs> Usyk's level of skill will get him very far in that fight, in my opinion. But when, when Derek needs that extra amp and he loses motivation, mm. he needs that O2 crowd to, you know, push him. So we I think do. stuff like that is probably a valid point, don't you think? I, I, th I think Chisora's a different fighter today as well. Now. I don't think it's the old Chisora now. I okay. think he's in good shape. Uh, I, I, I do... Usyk is the favourite, but I do think if if, if Chisora lands, I don't know how Usyk's gonna uh, hold up. So it's very interesting, man. I, I think it's more fair, and I don't think you can get robbed on a match you uh, fight camp card now because it's only the ref and there's no influence from the crowd. It's gonna be fair. Yeah. So those are very good points. I gotta agree with you there um, because a lot of, a lot of the times <clears throat> when you hear the crowd, I think the it can have a massive impact on the judges scoring, especially for an away fighter. We've seen it a couple of times recently. Um, but sticking with that then, with the behind-closed-doors, some fighters... Well, there's, there's a question going around, right? If fighters don't fight the big fights now, would you consider that ducking? Because everyone's kind of had the same time off. Yeah. Straight up. I, I, I think you're ducking. I think, that like, why would you wait? If you wait for the crowd, then there's a few boxers gonna, that's not run past you now. It's going to be in front of you. Mm. They're going to build a fan, but it's going to be a lot of eyes on the match in fight camp. Like, you've got to take a chance. You can't wait. Do you know what I mean? You, you can get an injury two months down, down the line and you're out for another six months and then you're going to you got to take a chance, mate. Everyone's fighting with no crowd. It is what it is. Get, get, get on with it. That's what, that's what I think personally. Hey, Fight Fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps. If you haven't already subscribed to my YouTube channel, make sure you go ahead and do so by clicking this icon right here and hit the bell button so you can get notified every time we upload a new video. And we also have a free app available on iTunes and Google Play. So make sure you go ahead and download that. Bye, Fight Fans. Welcome back to the final part of this week's boxing show. It is exciting times in the ultra-competitive light heavyweight division, as well as Callum Johnson and Joshua Boazzi. Anthony Yard is also looking to stake his claim as the very best, as Andy Scott explains. Anthony, thanks so much for taking time uh, for joining us here on the boxing show. First and foremost, um, this pandemic has been incredibly tough for, for everyone around the world, but been incredibly tough for you and your family with the tragic loss um, of your father and your grandmother. Just how are you bearing up with everything at the moment? How are you and the rest of the family? Um, the rest of the family is up and down. For myself, um, it's just about continuing, just moving forward, um, trying to think about it and um, just trying, trying to live my life really. I've just been trying to focus on, on myself and my own growth. Um, whether that's I started riding like bicycles, <laughs> I've been doing roller skating, running. Um, I hit a bag for the first time, um, about three days before that. I was just like shoving boxing and making making the most of what I've got. But I got a bag the other day and I hit the bag, so it's 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 okay, it's okay. Focusing on the light heavyweight division, Russia obviously dominating at world level at the moment. But domestically, do you see yourself as top of the pile? I do. Um, the the best need to fight the best at the end of the day, and that's the only way that there's there's any proof. You know, the the fight a lot of people want, or that I've wanted for years now, 
is me against Joshua Boatsy. He keeps doing what he's doing. I come back and keep doing what I'm doing. It's a massive fight, you know, and there's other fights down the line as well. Is there bad blood between you guys at all? Oh, absolutely not. Um, me and him have seen each other a few times. You know, he's from South London, I'm from East London. We've seen each other a few times. And um, even with, with the bad news I had with my family members, um, Joshua Boatsy was one of the people that messaged me um, and we, we exchanged a couple words and it was just, you know, it was nothing to do with boxing. It was just a tragedy that happened in my family. And, um, we, you know, we don't hate each other. You know, I've said this from the beginning. You know, I know people that know Joshua Boatsy. We're both from London. And um, it has to be a fight that, that benefits both of us, you know. And um, we, 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 we're two characters that will give it We'll give it everything. I'll go for the knockout. I'm sure he will go for the knockout. And that's what makes it such an exciting fight, you know. Um, and in the future, that's, that needs that has to be a fight for a world title, in my opinion. Well, of course, our thoughts are with Anthony and his family. It's been a very difficult time for them, so sending him our condolences. Um, Joshua, we've, we've already spoken about the potential fight between the two of you, but how would you beat him? Um, how would I beat Yard? I think <clears throat> I'd improve in what I'm doing. Um, I get to a point in camp where I'm like, you know what, I've done everything that I can do um, and that's going to be enough to beat whoever I'm facing. Um, and and more so in terms of watching opponents, and I, I tend not to watch them too much because I believe as long as I'm improving, I'm improving in the areas that I need to, that, again, it's going to be good enough to beat um, whoever's in front of me. Um, so I'm I'm confident in my abilities um, in the skills that I'm learning. The people that are teaching me, I'm confident in them as well. So it's just about me applying it. And like I said, once I'm applying it, I don't feel there's anyone that's going to beat me. Matt, how much of a talent is Anthony Yard, do you think? I mean, Andy Clark has done his own rankings and he has him ranked as number one. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably because, you know, he fought Kavalev, he performed so well. So I can understand why he's got him at number one. But I think there's there's an argument for all three. I mean, Boatsy's the Olympian. He's got the amateur pedigree. Uh, he's undefeated. You know, he's the rising star, let's say. But Yard and Johnson obviously have fought for world titles. So, you know, maybe that's why Andy Clark has put them ahead of him. But I think between the three of them, there's not a lot in it. Yard, very, very talented, really stepped up to the plate uh, in his performance against Kovalev. So he'll definitely want another crack at it. Callum Johnson obviously wants another crack at it. Performed so well against uh, Baturbia, but ultimately lost it. And of course, Bawatsi, the undefeated guy, the, the one who's being groomed for superstardom. So really, really fascinating mix. All three different personalities and three different styles of fighting as well. Yeah, I mean, I I think I know the answer to this. If I come to Callum Johnson and say, "Do you agree with that, Callum?" <laughs> Silly question. No, I don't. I don't agree with that. No, I believe I'm number one. Um, I believe I believe I'm that I can beat anybody in the world. And you know, Anthony Yard and Joshua Boatsy is no different. So, again, if I uh, if I can bring my best stuff to the table into the boxing ring, I believe I can beat any man on the planet in the lightweight division. Joshua, we know you said it yourself. You believe you should be number one. Um, yeah, I think everyone's got their opinion. And um, Andy Clark, um, I'm going to have a word with him when I see him. But, um, you know, it's just rankings. Like, he's, I'm down as number three. That's his opinion. Um, and for me, it's OK, because I feel when we get in there, we'll we know who number one is. Um, I, I believe, like I said, I'll beat anyone in the country. Um I, I don't doubt that so it's an opinion and um, yeah that's that's kind of all I think about it um, it is, it is an opinion I have one yeah exactly and it has certainly got a lot of people talking on social media as well Welcome back to The Boxing Show. Well, Joshua Boatsy has quickly gathered a big reputation. He's impressed many, and none more so than his manager, Anthony Joshua, has his eye on an all-London battle with top contender, Anthony Yard. As a fan, 100%, I'd like that. You know, um, you've got the lion in Yard and you've got the wolf, the lone wolf in Boatsy. It's the, it's, the, it's the meat of the jungle, you know? I think it's a two wild animals coming together to slug it out. One's an Olympian, one's East London born, bred fighter from the Peacock Gym. Like, 
so different. It's kind of like me and Dylan. I was the Olympian, went down that route. Dylan was South London, bread fighter, rough, and same contrast, and it made a great fight. So I believe in Boatsy. I know he's very talented, but he just had to step his game up because Yard went to the world level against Kovalev. He got beat, but that experience does something to you anyway, providing you don't lose the hunger. With Buatsi, is it there's a phrase, isn't there? Uh, don't mistake kindness for a weakness. He's so humble and respectful, but as soon as that bell goes, he seems to be the choir boy's long gone. Uh, is that the, <laughs> the, is the, that rap, the, the rap battle? <laughs> the rap battle artist comes out. Is that the Joshua yeah. Buatsi that you know? I only know, but I remember we're not in the same division, so I haven't got no beef with Buatsi. <laughs> so I don't know Buatsi for the hard-headed fighter, but I know Boatsy for the man he is, and he gives me advice as well for like, before my fights, he reaches out to me. I think with Boatsy, why he'll do great things in boxing, because his belief in God, like, he has a reason, and his reason's bigger than boxing, so what I believe is that through boxing, he'll use his platform to go on and do great things after. That rugged edge is only to fulfil his destiny and purpose, and he has to do it through fighting. Great to hear from Anthony Joshua there. Um, so Joshua, your manager, AJ, he wants to see this fight with you and Anthony Yard. Would you want it? There seems to be quite a bit of respect between you two. Yeah, no, Yard is cool, man. Um, I've seen him a few times and we circled to each other. Um, I'll tell you what, I saw I saw Yard, um, Drake performed at the O2 maybe a year ago and the show had finished. So you can imagine there's thousands of people outside um, so I went with my little sister, so I was walking and in the midst of the thousands of people, we crossed path and we just started laughing because I was thinking, what are the chances that I'm going to bump into you here when there's thousands of people after the show? Um, we laughed, we said, listen, one day this could be us fighting here. Um, you know, touched hands and that was it. We said, see you later. And there's, there's no needle or anything, but um, it's a fight that people have spoken about for ages, Anna. So... Um, and, you know, Yard feels he's number one in the country. I thought, you know what, I'm number one in the country. Um, and again, even let's bring Johnson in, he feels he's number one as well. So, you know, people feel that they're number one, so it's going to get to a point where we have to prove it. So um, I think it's heading that way, man. Matt, so they both seem to think that they're number one. Um, as with Callum Johnson, you know, Yard's also had that world-level experience when he fought Kovalev. Is it a fight you'd like to see? Yeah, I think there's no doubt in uh, Anthony Yard's talent. He really stepped up to the plate against Zero Kovalev. I think the, the, the fear was that he hadn't had a sort of in-between level fight. He'd gone from beating guys that he was expected to beat comfortably and looked a million dollars doing it, but it was a big jump against Kovalev, but he performed really, really well. Was probably one or two clean punches away from stopping Kovalev and in the end ran out of steam and through exhaustion as much as anything. You know, Kovalev proven the good champion he was, but I think Yard certainly established himself and proved himself that night. Uh, he's very much in the mix. All guys will believe they're number one, and legitimately so. They can all, they've all got a strong sort of point to argue. But uh, we, we just hope, from the television point of view, from a fan point of view, that the fights get made and they don't fall by the wayside. Joshua, I mean, you're 12-0 now. You've had an enforced period of inactivity, a, a bit of a frustrating time for you since your last fight last year. Um, how are you reflecting on your progress so far? Are you, are you happy with it? I'm always grateful that I've had the tough fights and I've won them. Um, how do I reflect on it? Yeah, um, tough fights, tough wins. Um, I, I want more. Um, you know, like you said, I was injured um, while I was ill in November, so hence why I couldn't carry on. But um, yeah, I can't I can't complain on them. And I've had 12-1-12 and whatever's next is next. Um, I can't take it for granted because there's people that were expected to win that didn't go on to win. But, you know, I can sit here today and, be, and say to you, look, I had 12 fights, I won the 12. Um, I got 10, of, 10 knockouts out of it. I came out safely, my opponents came out safely, um, captured the British title, but I, I won more than that. So um, I'm not content at all. I'm, I'm grateful with what I've done, but I'm not content about it, yeah. Matt, with, with that time out of the ring and, and the enforced time out of the ring, how important do you think it is for Joshua to, to get that momentum back? Yeah, that's that's the the only thing his career has lacked, really, and, and it's of, of recent times, is, is that activity, that momentum. Um, it's important that he fights. He's not 
he's not one of these, he's not a Conor McGregor personality where he calls people out. He's not controversial. You know, he's a gentleman. So I think his performances in the ring, his viciousness and tenacity inside the ropes, that's what's going to, you know, shoot his profile up through the rankings. And I think, uh, so it's, it's, it's crucial that he gets back out, gets fighting, stays busy. And I, I think he's nearly, he's, he's kind of good to go now. I mean, he's, He's such a good amateur pedigree. We know, we've seen him, his shot selection, his variety, he's compact, he's really economic. He fights like someone who's had a lot more than 12 fights. He really does Mm. fight beyond his years. Um, You know, I can't wait to see him fight again. And and the same with Callum Johnson, very exciting fighter, yard two. These are three really world-class guys that I really hope get it on. Callum, have you been keeping a close eye on Joshua? And where do you see where do you see you could exploit his weaknesses? Do you think? Well, you say I'm the same. Do you know, I don't really watch a lot of fighters. Um, if, if I told you I'd watched him, I'd be lying. Um, I've seen bits and bobs and clips, and you know, you hear things. And but you know, I believe he likes to stand another fight. He likes to have a bit of a fight, and you know, he sometimes can leave himself open. So I'd be looking to uh, exploit that. But, you know, obviously, I don't really look at fighters unless I'm actually going to be fighting them. And, you know, if, if you know if the fight gets made or when it gets made, you know, then I'll, I'll study them more. But until then, it's not something that I do. Joshua, we, we heard Anthony Joshua say in, in that video tape about you being the nicest man outside. And then this, this switch flicks and you become this absolute demon in the ring. What happens? Where does that switch come from? Um, I, I think is what like what Matt said. Um, you're not gonna get the trash talking from me. So I think with me when I'm in that ring, I think okay, listen, you ain't been talking rubbish about people. You haven't been doing all the smack talk. So it's time to to sell yourself. When I get in that ring and I say, do you know what? This is the canvas. The canvas for me is it is I'm I'm this is my sales pitch. I'm in here now. All eyes are on me. So sell yourself. Fight how you feel you should do and. If I'm honest with you, people like the violence, the viciousness, the aggression. People love all of that. So when I'm in that ring, I say to myself, this is time for me to sell myself. This is this is time for me to rise my stock. So, um, yeah, when I, when I get in there, I think everyone's got that side to them. And boxing just teaches you how to control it. So outside the ring, yeah, I'm a normal guy. I go through normal things that people go through. Um, but in the ring, it's time to switch on. And like I've said, it's it's you or them. Get them before they get you. And um, myself, my, I tell myself, make sure you get him before he gets you. So when the bell rings, I'm like, that's the target. So um, I think everyone would be the same in that scenario. But apparently it's a bit more evident with me, in, you know, outside the ring and inside the ring. But um, if you don't get them, they get you. And it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a vicious sport that we're in, man. You're managed by Anthony Joshua. What's the relationship between the two of you like? And, and how did it come about? Because did I believe you were you approached by uh, Mayweather Jr. originally? Yeah, so, so um, in the Olympics, Mayweather said, he gave me a number and he said, if you want to make more money, call this number. Um, by this time, I was thinking, let me actually win the medal first. I'm going to call this number, but not yet. Um, came back to England, finished my degree. And um, Josh's management team, um, we got in touch with each other and I liked what they were about. Um, a very small team, but efficient team. Um, they've done a very good job with myself, Lorenzo Coley, um, Ramin Ali, Suleiman Sissoko from France. Um, they're doing a good job with all of us. So um, I'm, I'm happy where I'm with there. Um, so in that aspect, Josh has put a team together that manages us. Um, in terms of relationship with Josh, it's like a phone call. Bro, this is the situation that I'm in. What do you think about it? What would you do? Um, again, I'll see what he's doing and then I'll be like, okay, explain to me why that works or why you made this decision or why you didn't make it. And then there's things off the record that we talk about as well. That's not boxing related. So um, as always, it's good to get advice from people, but it's better advice when you're talking to someone that's been there and done it. You know, I could tell you about swimming. I could tell you, oh, just don't drown, do this, do that. But the truth is, Anna, I can't even swim. So what am I talking to you about swimming? Do you know what I mean? It makes no sense. So if you're talking to Michael Phelps, who can swim, then you're getting the best advice. So that's kind of how I see it. I don't know if you remember, Joshua, but that first um, you worked on a show with us and you did an overnight with us and we were talking about avocados and you didn't know what an avocado was, but now you do. Imagine that. Oh, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine that. So, um, nah, there's a lot of things that I don't know, but you know, you talk to the people that know about it and that's how you move. Yeah. 
Joshua's made some comments on uh, Tyson Fury, and Fury's made some comments on Joshua over the last few days. Can I just get a little reaction to this? Okay, so Tyson Fury said on Redknapp's home fixture, AJ Styles is tailor-made for mine, upright, walking forward, classic defence, strong and powerful, but no footwork. Hardly any resilience and a bit gutless when it comes down to getting clipped. I'll knock him out in two or three rounds. Uh, Joshua has said... One second, let me find it. Uh, he says things about me all the time, but Fury is only relevant to me the day uh, me and him sign a contract to fight. He says a lot of controversial things, and I know if it was me, I just think he gets away with a lot. Oh, you want me to comment on this? Yes, please. All right, not a lot. I had a couple of FaceTime video missed calls from Tyson the other day. So did AJ. Yeah. Fun. So I had two missed calls. I was I was out in the garden, came back, and I had two video calls from Fury. So I phoned him back three times, texted him saying, I, uh, sorry, mate, missed your call, but I'm around. And then spoke to AJ. I went, I had a missed call from Fury. He went, you know what? So did I. So I don't know what he was up to. <laughs> I think he was just on the wind-up. But um, I just believe AJ beats Tyson Fury. And I believe he knocked him out, you know. Am I going to believe that? Yeah, of course I am. I'm, I'm, you know what side I'm riding with. But um, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful fight. And I'm very, very, very confident that you will see one, probably two of those in 2021. And we're working hard to deliver that. Do you think that we could see them fights back to back? Yes. But you've got all kinds of problems. You've got the Deontay Wilder problem. You've got Dillian White. Is the mandatory for Tyson Fury as well? So, you know, when we see them is interesting. I'm not sure Wilder's going to be ready this year. I've got a funny feeling. So I'd like to see Dillian jump in and fight Tyson Fury at the end of this year. Realistic chances of that, though? I think if Wilder's not ready, it should be absolutely 100% made by the WBC. Where do you stand, though, with obviously trying to keep Dylan White happy and fulfilling his mandatory to putting on the biggest fight with... Yeah, people want to see Fury against Joshua. Of course they do. The biggest fight ever in British boxing history. One of the biggest fights of all time in boxing history. And it's the undisputed heavyweight world championship. But we can't ignore that Dillian White has been treated, in my opinion, unfairly by the WBC. And he must get his shot before February 2021. The end of February 2021. So certainly, if Wilder's not ready, then Fury must fight. And let's be honest, if Fury fights Dillian White, um, you're still going to see an all-British undisputed fight because the winner fights AJ anyway. But we're ready to make AJ against Fury now. But we're not ignoring the fact that Dillian White must get what he's been promised and what he's worked hard to do, which is a shot at the World Heavyweight title. Flex and welcome to the latest edition of Seconds Out Reflections here every Monday, 4.30pm. So, not loads to talk about just yet as boxing is still very much in the infancy of coming back from the coronavirus-induced shutdown. Um, but one thing that did catch the eye over the last week was some speculation and promotion, I guess, marketing around a possible crossover fight between MMA or UFC heavyweight Francis Ngannou and Dillian White, who's waited seemingly about 20 years for a world title shot from the WBC. Um, I exaggerate, although not by much, probably. Um, and at first it just seemed like the latest round of silly season that has seen us look at a possible Mike Tyson comeback in some form or another. Um, O'Hara Davis and Anthony Fowler crossing weight divides to take each other on. 
But Eddie Hearn has given it more credibility, um, saying that he, while White is still scheduled to fight Alexander Povetkin next, as was scheduled before the shutdown, um, it's a real chance it could happen either this year or next year. And he's going to enter into talks with UFC head honcho Dana White to see if it can be made. Um, there was an E! press conference film, that's all the rage at the moment, of course. Uh, but apparently some complaint on the part of Nganu's team has meant that it will now not be released and people won't be able to watch it. I don't know if that's permanent or if it just stopped it being released at the time it was due to go out. Maybe they've asked for some particular edits, I'm not sure. Um, but they've certainly scuffed it going out on the agreed date, so we don't know what went down there. But the fact that they scheduled an E-press conference is A, indicative of the fact that no one's got a lot to do at the moment. But B, also that maybe there's a bit more to this fight actually happening than some of the other kind of spurious fights between MMA fighters and boxers that have been talked about in the past. To me, I've got to say, it doesn't do a lot for me. Um, unless we're going to see someone who used to be a boxer and then you know got experience in MMA, got some good wins on the way up and got to a certain level, and I, I understand why that's largely impossible because there's just not enough time to have two full careers in one person's physical prime. What's the point? Because if, just using White and, and Garner as an example, if they clash in a cage, you know, White's had a bit of kickboxing experience. He's not really ever fought in an octagon or done kind of all-in mixed martial arts. No real kind of grappling background that I'm aware of or BJJ. Um, and Garner is obviously a striker. He's not you know, known as this kind of wrestling genius or anything like that. So it is kind of in White's wheelhouse. But striking for MMA is very different to um, striking for boxing, not just because you can use your feet as well, which White does have some experience of, but also just the way you use takedowns to set up strikes and vice versa and myriad other ways that people more versed in MMA can tell you a lot better than I can. But you would back Ngannou, you know, by a mile in the octagon. He's only lost three fights, one really early in his career, the other two to top. UFC heavyweights in um, Derek Lewis and current UFC heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic. Now, the Miocic fight got absolutely brutalised and grappling was part of that. So it wasn't just that he was outstruck or out hit, although he was in the latter half of that five-rounder. Derek Lew Lewis fight, I wouldn't recommend going to watch it. The most tedious um, MMA fight I've ever seen, I think. I haven't seen that many, though, to be fair. Um, but yeah, just a really boring fight and Garner, it seemed like the occasion got to him a little bit in that one, kind of inexplicable performance. Um, but then if you look at it in a boxing ring, um, 10 rounds, 12 rounds, whatever it might be, Dillian White's a world-class heavyweight. He's probably got a better resume than some of the world champions at the moment, or is A2. He's probably got a better resume than at least one, if not both, of the world champions at the moment. He's beaten a lot of top 10, top 15 contenders, looking to go in with another one in Povetkin next up. A lot of people might want to kind of paint him as a all kind of brawn kind of guy, but he's developed really well under Mark Tibbs since he started. He's quite a late starter. Developed really well. He's got a good boxing brain, good jab now, good body puncher as well, and kind of a real well-rounded boxer puncher these days. And and you know sets quite a good pace for a heavyweight as well. There, and Garner would have zero chance really in a in a proper boxing match except maybe if he lands one of his huge haymakers on White's chin. But then White's got a good jaw. He's been down, yeah, but he's got back up. And only Anthony Joshua truly got him out of there. And there's no shame in that. And that was an earlier version of White as well, who came into the fight carrying an injury. So it's very hard to see either man beating the other in their respective um, wheelhouses, if you like. Eddie Hearn said something like, when he was kind of bursting with exuberance about the possibility, is it going to be in a cage? Is it going to be in the ring? are we going to do a round of each? I'm not sure quite what he meant by that. I hope he didn't just mean we'll do exactly one round in a cage and one round in the boxing ring, because that would be a pretty short pay-per-view main event. But if he means they're going to continually alternate between the two, it would have some sort of kind of curiosity value. It adds to the undoubted saleability of the fight. But how would that work exactly? Like, if Dillian White dropped Ngannou three times in a round... And then it got to just before the end of the round. Then what? They're going to go back out and do MMA straight after the interval. That doesn't seem particularly fair. And vice versa as well. If Ngannou spent, you know, three minutes, five minutes, however long they decide the rounds are, um, wrestling White to the floor or, you know, trying to tap him out of a choke or whatever it might be. And then they have a one minute interval or however long they decide on that. And then White's got to go back out to popping his jab, getting up on his toes after being absolutely knackered. 
you know, Ngannou's not known for his stamina, um, certainly, as, as an MMA fighter. He's got a lot of fights over very quickly. White's obviously got a massive stamina advantage, particularly in the boxing ring, because that'll be a much longer fight. Longest MMA fights at championship level are only 25 minutes, um, not including the intervals. At boxing, you're talking, what, three 12-minute rounds? That's like 36 minutes. That's already a lot longer. Um, and there's a lot more, like, it's not a knock on MMA, but there are more opportunities, I think, to rest in the action in MMA fights. You know, in boxing, you get the odd kind of hold and move each other around, a little bit of grappling that's not really allowed, and then the refs break them. But in MMA, you could be in kind of clinches and submission holds for a long time. And although there's obviously sustaining pain and suffering involved in that, you are resting from a cardio perspective sometimes as that's happening, especially if you're the fighter on top. So two very different sports, and I'm not keen to see these crossover fights. I wasn't particularly excited about Mayweather-McGregor, and I'm not particularly excited about this. Who And these two guys, no disrespect to him, both incredibly good. You know, I think Ngannou's ranked number two UFC contender at heavyweight. Dillian White is definitely in the world top five for me in boxing in heavyweight. But I don't see the point of them mixing the sports to clash. They're not massive household names in either of their own domains. Maybe they're bringing them together, and the idea is that they'll then go back to their respective sports with an increased name value, as long as neither of them get absolutely starched. But what will it prove? White smashes Ngannou in the boxing ring, to be expected. You know, Ngannou did a bit of boxing when he was a lot younger, but only even started that at age 22, and then quickly moved into MMA without really forging any sort of boxing career, certainly not as a pro. Or Dillian White steps into the octagon, something where he's got no experience of a couple of the key disciplines, gets out-wrestled, out-grappled, whatever it is, or even knocked out because the striking positions are so different and the opportunities come from different angles. And what does that prove? That Dillian White wasn't cut out to be a top-level you know, MMA fighter? I think Ngannou's ranked in the UFC pound-for-pound pound top 15. So it just proves that he deserves to be where he is and White deserves to be where he is. And crossing over proves very little at all, except it might make both guys a lot of money. And I'm not against that. I'm just stating the fact that I'm not particularly interested in it and I don't see what the point is. Like, no one cries out for... I'm trying to think of a, a good analogy because I was going to say like a tennis player against a snooker player at one of their sports or something like that. But it's not quite the same. But, it, okay, so no one cries out to see Usain Bolt or whoever the top 100-meter runner is now. You can see I don't watch a lot of athletics against Mo Farah in some sort of distance between the two that they're most versed in. Because although they're connected events they're so far apart the training's different and the actual competition's different so for me i'm not into it but it'd be great to hear what other people think um do you want to see dillian white against francis and garner would you be willing to see white further delay this long wait for the world title shot um to go in with a ufc fighter uh who do you think would come out on top if it's in the ring if it's in the octagon if they did do a round of each alternating until the end of the fight let me know what you think um and i'll respond to some of the comments I'll be back next week, Monday 4.30 for next Reflections and this Thursday for Flex Expectations, same time. Always appreciate it and I'll see you soon. Cheers.